0: so good to sing with you this morning. I find uh, many, many a weekend. I wake up on Sunday like uh, many of you, a little weary from the week and a little emotionally flat and perhaps a little spiritually thin even. And uh, I oftentimes find when I come here and we join in song together and we sing to our God and just being together, looking around and seeing uh people who I love and who love me and it's just uh it is an enriching experience and I am now ready to uh to speak, which I'm not sure I would have been at nine o'clock. So thank you for the privilege of worshiping with you and to sing to our God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. We're gonna be participating in communion uh in just a little bit. We got more corporate worship to come. But this is our time where we open God's Word and we're going to do that now. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians and, uh, we have learned a lot so far. It has been a, it has been a good series thus far and I hope one that has been a blessing to you. What we've seen so far is that Paul's basically challenging these Corinthians, uh, for many problems, but the primary problem that they had was spiritual pride. They were haughty, they thought they had spiritually arrived, they uh, were glorying in uh, teachers in the church, they were finding their spiritual identity in them, they were lifting them up, and then they were viewing themselves as being better than the other groups in the church. And we saw last week, any brand of Christianity that makes you proud is not real Christianity, because true Christianity humbles us when we recognize that everything that we have, we have received as a gift. And that's what he says in verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. All that we have, we have from God. So uh, Christians ought to be the most humble and grateful people that you would ever meet because we are the ones who are professing that this salvation has come to us by faith. So, having said that, now Paul is basically going to uh, threaten them. (laughs) and uh, this is a little bit uh seems a little schizophrenic actually because all the things he's been saying about you know uh your leaders we are we are workers in the field do not lift us up now he is going to exercise spiritual authority as an apostle and we see in this just the complexity of the apostle paul he was one intriguing guy but a very loving apostle, and you're going to hear a lot, of, a lot of love language in this as he speaks to them as a father. And basically, what we're going to talk about today is having a faith that I can imitate, and uh, somebody in my life that I can imitate, and having a faith in my own life that is imitatable. So, We'll get to that, but I want us to uh, finish up chapter 4, first of all. Spend a little time in verses 18 through 21. This is, what, this is what it says, if you look chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now remember that when Paul wrote uh, this letter, he was in Ephesus. He was not, it's not like he was in town and he just popped a letter that he put in the mailbox and mailed it across town. He is, he is a long ways away. And so in his absence there at the church, apparently there were certain ringleaders in these factions in Corinth who he here calls, there are some arrogant people, who were talking Paul down in his absence. They were big talkers. They talked a big story. But they are uh, uh, they, in trouble, clearly. Paul's calling them out. You ever know a big talker? Probably do. Maybe a lot of them. The kind of person who talks big behind the uh, boss's back, or talks big behind the principal's back, or talks big behind the teacher's back, talks big behind the policeman's back. But when the principal, when the boss, when the teacher, when the policeman come walking in, they what? Yeah. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. Uh, Exactly. So... uh, You probably know people like this, and this is the kind of uh, people apparently were going on, were, were happening here in Corinth. You know, in the South, they call these people, they describe them this way, big hat, no cattle. I grew up going to stock car races. When you go to a stock car race, never cheer for the prettiest car. Don't do it. They never win. When you go golfing, if you show up on the tee, you've got a scramble, you're playing in your foursome, and the guy shows up uh, to play in your foursome, and he's got sparkling golf clubs, and he's got a beautiful golf bag, and he's got golf shoes that don't have a nick or anything on them, you don't want him on your scramble team. Here's why. Anybody that goes to that much effort to, to show how good they are in their, the way that they look clearly is covering up for some weaknesses. And the same is true at the stock car race and many other things in life. This is the way that it is. These arrogant people, Paul says, you are talking a big story, but when I show up, we're going to find out what is actually the case. If you are a big hat, no cattle kind of Christian. And so Paul here is, has heard of some of the things that they have been saying about him. And you might think, boy, if you were an apostle, everybody would like you. Uh, No. If you were an apostle, everybody would listen to you with bated breath. They would think you were the greatest thing ever. They would just adore you. No. In fact, you know what? You can be the savior of the world, and everyone's not going to like you. (laughs) True here. The apostle Paul. For example, here's something that he says they were saying about him. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. That's what they were saying about him. He writes a big big letter, but when you meet him, he's just not that impressive. And if you read through Corinthians, you're going to find that they were questioning his integrity. They were questioning uh, his apostleship. They were questioning his speaking ability. They, you know, who knows what else they were talking about behind his back. But Paul basically says to them, I want you all to realize that, Lord willing, I am going to come. Daddy's coming home. And when daddy comes home, we're going to find out what really is and what is not. And so there is a kind of uh, veiled threat here. It's kind of like, if you think about the Old Testament, when uh, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, he, he says, okay, let's find out who really has power. Let's find out who really is God. And you know, there were the 400 Baal prophets in the whole test, the whole contest there. And of course, uh, Elijah was shown to be the prophet of, of God. Paul basically says the same thing. We're going to find out who has spiritual power. Now, we don't know what that means exactly. We don't know. He was anticipating when they got together some demonstration of the Spirit's power in some way. We don't know. But clearly, there would be an indication of who was speaking for God and who was not. And clearly, Paul says, I am. You're not. You're arrogant people. You're talking big, but uh, you're not the real thing. So, pretty strong language there. Uh, But that's how he ends... He ends the chapter. Now, let's go back to verse 14. And I want, this is going to be our main talk today, is to talk about spiritual genealogy and having a faith that I can imitate uh, in somebody else and having a faith in myself that somebody else can imitate. So I am being influenced by somebody who is spiritually more mature and I'm seeking to influence somebody who is a little younger in the faith. So we begin now in verse 14. Here's what he says. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, to write these things, this is what we talked about last week. You recall that little sarcastic section beginning in verses 8, verse 8 down through verse 13, where he, he just kind of, he's very sarcastic in what he is saying. And he says, now, I don't write these things to make you feel bad. I'm not just writing these things to ridicule you. Rather, I want to see spiritual growth in your life. I am admonishing you. Now let's talk about admonishing a moment. I'm going to give you about a three-minute infomercial for admonishment. Admonishing is not a word that you hear very often. Like think of the last time you had somebody come to you and say, you know what, could I admonish you about something? We don't use the word very much in our culture, and one of the reasons that we don't is that there is this rugged individualism that is, is is built into us as Americans, where we basically operate in our society where you have your right to do your thing, I have my right to do my thing, I have no right to talk about your thing, you have no right to talk about my thing. We live as islands, we live in isolation, and uh, don't you dare sort of uh, you know criticize me or speak anything about me in my my life. That is Americanism. That is not Christianity. Admonishing is very much a part of spiritually mature Christianity. The word admonish here means to rebuke, but it is a kind of rebuke where the person who is receiving it knows that the other person loves them. And is for them, and is saying it in a way uh, to to uh, encourage them. If somebody that you know doesn't like you, admonishes you, that's not going to go well. But when somebody comes to you that you know is for you and loves you, think of think of maybe a father or a parent or a a, a spouse or a coach or somebody else you're more apt to hear it because you know that person is saying it so that you might improve. This is admonishing. Spiritually immature Christians cannot do the admonishing thing. They are too fragile. They are too fragile to offer an admonishment to somebody and they are way too fragile to receive an admonishment from somebody. They just end up in a puddle of tears. You can go to them and say, listen, I'm here, I love you, I have something that I think if I shared it with you, it would help you in your walk with the Lord, and here's what it is. And right away they're going, no, don't say that. They're too fragile. They can't handle anybody maybe saying something about them. But a spiritually mature Christian wants to be admonished. Proverbs says, if you rebuke a wise man, he will love you. But if you rebuke rebuke a fool, he will hate you. So the response to an admonishment is, in some ways, an indication of where we are spiritually. And a spiritually mature Christian, and a spiritually mature church, there will be admonishing that will be, go on in loving relationships where we are for one another. And we need people to speak truth into our life because we are so blind to our own weaknesses. Right? Okay, so... How else am I going to know the areas of my life, the weaknesses in my life, when I look in the mirror and I can't see them, but to have somebody who loves me enough to say it to me and to, in love, encourage me and help me and say, hey, I'm here to be with you, hold you accountable, whatever it is. But brother, let's see you grow in this. And a spiritually mature Christian will receive that well. And I just think, you know, admonishing was in short supply at Corinth. They were too immature. They were too fragile. Let's not be a church like that. And I wonder, Christian, if you could just, even in me saying this, prepare your heart for the time when God is going to nudge you to go and to admonish your brother or your sister in some way. May you have the courage to do it. And when somebody comes to you in love and says, I'm for you, I want to help you in this area, I think it might be a blind spot for you to right now have the courage to receive an admonishment. If we're ever going to be a church with hair on its chest is what comes to my mind, but you know what I'm saying? If we're ever going to be a church with hair on its chest... It's not going to be because we're all just sort of dancing around and are afraid to say anything to one another. It is we need one another to do this or we'll never become the Christians that God would have us to be. And that is your infomercial on admonishment here today. Paul says, I'm not writing this to make you ashamed. I'm not writing this to ridicule you. I am doing it to admonish you as my beloved children. And so now with this uh, children language, we get into the idea that Paul is developing now of spiritual genealogy. Spiritual genealogy. Look at verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So we're talking about now genealogy, spiritual genealogy. You're probably familiar with the concept of a family tree. Do you know what a family tree is? Where it's a picture of your family, your ancestors, and how you became who you became now. Who who begat who, who begat who, who begat who. And, uh, they're kind of fun to look at. I remember there was, uh, my, my Aunt Marie is kind of our church, or our, our family's historian. Maybe you have one of these people in your family who just kind of takes it upon themselves to be the archivist and the historian of the family. My Aunt Marie has done tons of research on our family, has been to Holland researching back, you know, back, 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 uh, all the wooden shoes that I come from, and, and uh, so she's done that. And she had in her home uh this family tree and i remember as a kid uh going there and whenever we went to her house i would go and i would look at this family tree and i would see on the family tree my ancestry in fact i have a picture of it this is my aunt marie's family tree and i would stand in front of that thing and i would look at it and i'd look at you know my relatives and my great-grandfather great-grandmother and and uh, all the rest and I don't know. Just as a kid, it kind of fascinated me to look at it. Uh, we have some interesting characters in the in the Dewitt family. Uh, I picked out one couple in particular that are among my favorites. That's my like great 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 grandfather, and this is the woman who married into the family. Look at the joy women have marrying into. <laughs> The Dewitt family tree. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than to uh, to do that. But I would look at that family tree because I would see these and others who would, you know, who I came from, and then I'd look out on a branch, and then out on the twig, and there was my mom and dad, and there was my name. I could see where I fit on the family tree. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is reminding them of where he fits on their family tree. I am your spiritual father, he says. Paul was the one that God used to birth the gospel there in Corinth. He went with the gospel. There was no church there. There were no Christians there. Paul went there, began ministering, teaching, preaching, and all the rest. And the fruit of that was these Corinthians who came to faith in Christ, established a church, and and all the rest. So Paul says, listen, you might have a lot of guides, says in the ESV. And that word there means uh, it was an ancient practice when rich people would hire a slave who would give oversight to their son, walk him to and from school, tutor him, take care of him, that kind of thing. You might have a lot of those sort of guides or tutors in your life, but I am the one that God used to bring the gospel to you. He is a spiritual father. So let's talk about spiritual fatherhood a moment. Paul was this to the Corinthians. I'd like for you to think about for a moment, who is who would you consider your spiritual father. Now, I, I, I use father, could be mother. We'll just use father for both here today. Who would you consider to be your spiritual father? Got the name? Christian? Okay. On the count of three, let's all say out loud who that person is. You ready? One, two, three. They would be very disappointed at your lack of enthusiasm in saying their name. Let's try that again. One, two, three. One, two, three. Lots of you need to get saved. I could be your spiritual father today. You can't come up with somebody. All right. The reason Paul points this out to them is that his relationship with them as spiritual father is the basis for the main thing that he's saying here, which is in verse 16. Because I am your spiritual father, be imitators of me, he says. Be imitators of me. Imitate, key word today, imitate. The word in the Greek is, we derive our word mimic. In fact, it almost is basically that in the Greek. To mimic somebody. To imitate somebody. To impersonate somebody. And you know how this goes. Somebody uh, who does this is somebody who is uh, talking like somebody else. They are, maybe they have a walk or they have some gesture or mannerism or whatever. And uh, if you ever play uh, charades or like cranium or a game like that where part of the game is you get a name that you now have to act out, the things that you're doing to make yourself look like, sound like the other person are mimics. You are imitating them. You are in your actions trying to look like, sound like uh, uh, the famous person in the game. And some people are really good at it, impersonating other people, and they become famous. I think of Tina Fey this last year who became, like, who is she? And all of a sudden she's so famous because she was good at impersonating. Or if you've ever heard Will Ferrell do Harry Carey, that's a funny one as well. So these kind of people, they're really good at making themselves sound like, talk like, look like, act like somebody else. Children don't have to work hard to sound like, look like, act like their parents it just happens doesn't it in fact right now if you if we have a parent and a child if you're sitting next to each other would you stand up right now let's have parents and children okay let's do that okay let's see if my theory is is correct Let's just look around for a moment. All right. Hmm, what do you notice about the people who are standing here next to other people? Some of them look eerily similar to their parent, don't they? And here's the thing, we're just looking at them. If you were to spend time with them and hear the way they talk hear the way that they, you know, the little mannerisms that they have. Sometimes you can spot the son of a dad walking, you know, he just, he just walks like his dad. They just, they just resemble them so much. It happens naturally. In fact, children, uh, listen to me. If you want to know what you're going to be like <laughs> in a few years, just look next to you because that's what happens. You look like, you sound like, as you get older, you find yourself saying things, you're like, oh, that is exactly what my mother would say. Right? That's what happens because children resemble their parents. Okay, sit down, thank you very much. Let's give them a hand. Thank you. (laughs) Children resemble their parents. Their values are passed on to their children. Their priorities, the things they care about, often their hobby. A Cubs fan rarely begets a White Sox fan. They typically grow up cheering for the same team. My dad loved them and I love them now. And sometimes, uh, sometimes there is a break in that, but we view those as aberrations. Uh, genetically altered aberrations that there is no explanation for most of the time you kind of go for what mom or dad go for in fact i would even say that a rebellious child for all of their attempts to try to be the opposite of their parents their passion to do that proves how important their parents are to them otherwise there'd be nothing to rebel against So if you're a rebellious teenager here and you're all like, I'm not my parents, I don't care about them, you do. Just get over it, all right? (laughs) There's nothing you can do to change it. Just get with the program and live life like the rest of us, all right? (laughs) Parents shape us. And spiritually speaking, this is the way that it's supposed to be as well, where God uses parents people in our lives, and Paul's talking about the the actual birthing, I would maybe somewhat include others who kind of adopt us and become spiritual parents to us. God uses people like uh, Paul in our lives to shape us. And we are then called to imitate them. And that's what Paul says here, imitate me. Now, this is the schizophrenic thing. Because for four chapters, he has been saying, don't think too much of your spiritual leaders. Don't think too much of me. You've got us way too high. And now he says, oh, by the way, why don't you imitate me? So how how does he, how does he get off in being able to say this? I mean, this sounds kind of prideful. If I got up today and I said, all right, all of you, if you want to be great Christians, be like me. You'd be like, that guy is a megalomaniac. What is Paul saying? Here is actually what Paul is saying. He develops the thought just a little further in chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what he says. In the same letter, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, on our own, there is nothing worth imitating. It is only as the life of Christ is formed in us through the transformation that happens in salvation, where now God is in the process of developing Christ-likeness in my life. As that happens, now there are things in me that are imitatable. But that's not me, it is Christ in me. And that's even what Paul is saying. Imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Christ. So whatever you see like Christ in me, do that in your own life. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. If you are a Christian here, you are a new creation. And that new creation is really exciting. And it is something that allows other Christians to see that and to strive to imitate it in their life. To mimic it in their own walk with the Lord. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, prior to Paul's salvation, there is no way that he could say to a Christian, imitate me. Because he hated Christ, he hated the church, he was doing everything that he could to, uh, to destroy God's work. But once he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, now there became this huge transformation in his life. Now Christ's way of thinking about things is, was becoming Paul's. The truth found in Christ was becoming the truth that he loved and tried to live in his life. Christ's mission, the Great Commission, became Christ's, or Paul's mission in his life. And so in, in, in these ways, then the life of Christ was being developed in Paul as he grew spiritually in his own walk so that now he could say to the Corinthians, imitate me because I am imitating Christ. It is Christ in me that allows any spiritual parent to say to a spiritual child, follow after me. James stalker says it this way in like manner. We may carefully copy the traits of Christ's character looking at him outside of us as a painter looks at his mode. We may do better. Still, we may by prayer and the reading of the word live daily in his company and receive the impress of his influence. But if our imitation of him is to be the deepest and most thorough, something more is necessary. He must be in us as the mother is in her child, having communicated his own nature to us in the new birth. The spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, it comes and dwells within the Christian. And this creates a a continuing and ongoing progressive sanctification where Christ is more and more seen in my actions and attitudes. At least this is the way that it's supposed to work. When we are yielding to Christ and striving to grow in our walk, many people come to faith in Christ and their growth is very flat. Don't imitate those people. We're talking about people that are zealous for the Lord and are striving to be Christ-like in their life. These are spiritual fathers worthy of imitation. So again, think about who your spiritual father is or maybe a, a spiritual father that has adopted you. And think about what is it about them that influenced you or is influencing you? What is it about their life or their walk that you admire or that you look up to? How are they influencing you? Because this is the way that it's supposed to work. Where fathers imitate children who become fathers who imitate children who become fathers who imitate children. And that genealogy just keeps going. I think about it in my own life. I would, I would say that the two primary fathers that I have had would be my dad, who along with my mom, God used to bring the gospel into my heart. I grew up in, the, in a Christian home. I've known about Jesus Christ and the gospel since I was a kid. I could quote John 3.16, I think when I was two. And I've just known all of my life that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world because they taught that and, as best they could, lived it out in the home. So I would look at my father, my, my biological dad, as being also a spiritual dad in my life. In my 20s and 30s, I would put my mentor, Kimber Kaufman, in that category for me. I've talked about him before. He's preached here before. But uh, Kimber was a guy that I met when I was in college, and I began to do some ministry with. He had started this church in Indianapolis, and and I did an internship with him, and uh, later on I got hired by the church to go and to work on staff there, and I just spent tons of time with him. And he talked to me about ministry, and he talked to me about girls, and he talked to me about money, and he talked to me about just life and all the other things that a father would do, and he was rubbing off on me. That's what happens is when you are with somebody like that, they, 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 they rub off on you. I hope you got somebody that's, that's rubbing on you, a spiritual father, and they influence you. Now, it's, it's not like Kimber ever like said to me, Steve, I am your father. You know, it was nothing like that. But I was glad to be Timothy to this Paul in my life. And I found myself, you know, talking about things. And I'd be like, oh, that's exactly the way that Kimber would say it. Or I would be thinking about something or, or doing some kind of ministry thing. And I, would, I, could, I, could, I could see his influence being lived out in the words and in my perspective on things, my philosophy of ministry and all the rest. Why? Because he was a spiritual father to me. He rubbed off on me and I profited from that. That helped grow me in the faith. I don't know who I would be if I did not have a father, a spiritual father, in those key years in my life like Kimber Kaufman. In fact, I can tell you, I look back at where I was in those days, and I am pretty sure that I would end up in a kind of Christianity that wasn't particularly concerned with uh, deep doctrine or expository preaching or all the rest, because that's what I was fascinated with at the time. But he influenced me, and here we are today with the Bible open in church, which is not as common as you might think that it should be. But here we are. He's influenced me, and I am blessed by it. Do you have a spiritual father in your life? If not, I would urge you to get one. And right now you're thinking, okay, where do you, do you shop for those? Is it online? You know, how do you, how do you exactly get a spiritual father. I can tell you how you're never going to get a spiritual father. You're never going to find a spiritual father at the mall. You're not going to find a spiritual father at, uh, at the ball game. You're not going to find a spiritual father as you sit in front of the TV night after night. You're never going to get a spiritual father unless you are in a context where there are spiritual fathers to have a relationship with. And oh, by the way, that's what the church is for. And so one of the things, my dear friends, as we talk with you, we talk about exalt experience and engage and how important it is, basic Christianity is to be involved in ministry with God's people. One of the wonderful fruits of that is that you end up rubbing shoulders with people that are spiritually more mature than you. And the fruit of that is oftentimes a relationship. And so I just, can I admonish for a moment since we're all fresh with this admonishment thing and and, uh, nobody here wants to be too fragile to hear an admonishment, let me admonish you about something. We talk so often and urge you to be involved in ministry and to get around God's people, to be in a small group where you've got a small group leader that's giving oversight in your life. And we talk on and on and on about this, but when we have the sign-ups, oftentimes in the commons, we observe as people walk up from that service and they walk out the door. And you're like, Well, I don't think I'm going to do that. Listen, you need a father. You need somebody in your life who you can rub shoulders with, who can help grow you in the faith. And that is not going to be found in the hobby places of this world. It is found in the church. And so get in a context where you can have one. And we don't have fatherhood sign-ups. There's no adoption agency that we provide here in the church. It needs to happen naturally, organically, but we need it. So maybe you'll consider that. All right, the other side of the spiritual tree is also very important. We talked about uh, Paul, but what about the Timothys? You know, when I was uh, staring at that family tree in my aunt's in my aunt's house. And I looked at where I was out on the twig because I was out on the twig. There was a branch, then there was a smaller branch that was like my parents, and then there was the twigs. I was a twig. When I was a kid, I didn't look at myself as a twig and say, you know what? Someday I'm going to be a branch. But that's the way that it generally works, isn't it? The twig uh, reproduces and has a family, and slowly the twig becomes a branch and the branch becomes the stump. (laughs) And I didn't think that way, but that's the way that it happens naturally. And spiritually, the same thing is true. Spiritual children, we are to have spiritual children. In other words, we're to have people that we are influencing, if everybody in the church says, I'm going to find somebody that it can influence me, we're going to have a lot of people looking and nobody there saying, I want to be an influence, a benefit, a profit to a younger Christian in this church. So we need, we need both. We need the Pauls and we also need the Timothys. Now notice what he says here. What, what are these Corinthians to imitate? Look at what he says in verse Verse uh, 17. He says, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, Timothy, well-known guy in the New Testament, ever heard of first Timothy? This is not a trick question. Yeah. How about second Timothy? Oh yes, of course. That's the guy. Paul and Timothy had this relationship where Paul was investing and influencing Timothy. And Timothy gladly received it from him. And the fruit of that was that Paul's Uh, perspective and paul's priorities and paul's life were so invested in timothy that he can say here i am sending i'm not coming now but i am sending timothy to you now and he is going to remind you of what i am like timothy the disciple so much looked like the apostle paul that paul can send him and it's almost like sending himself what does that say to us that Paul prioritized the rubbing off, the influencing of younger Christians in his ministry. In fact, Paul says here that that Timothy would be a living, breathing representation of Paul's uh, ways in Christ, the ESV says. The NIV goes with way of life. I think that gets at it. The way that he lived. He was like a little Paul when he showed up there in corinth so this is vitally important as well we need godly men and women in our church who see a key part of their life and ministry the intentional and active discipleship of younger christians and by the way younger does not mean age it's a stage of maturity listen to paul in philippians he says brothers join in me or join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 4, what you've learned, here's a great guide for how to, how to uh, be a spiritual father. What you have learned and received and heard and see, seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Second Timothy 2, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you see how we just get that genealogy thing going on. Godly people investing in younger Christians who then grow and mature, who then are investing in younger Christians who grow and mature and are investing in younger Christians. And for 2,000 years that's been going on in the church, and we are the glad recipients of it. But what will happen if there is a generation that does not see the need to pass the faith on to the next and who is selfishly says, I'm just sort of happy with my life in Jesus. I'm going to live. I'm going to die and go to heaven. And I never have a Timothy in my life. What is the fruit of that? It is the loss of the gospel ministry. You might say, well, that's just the apostle Paul. Think of the ministry of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do in his life? In his ministry, he gathered 12 disciples around him and he walked with them and he talked with them and he ate with them and he just lived life with them. But he was rubbing off on them in such a way that they then became the leaders of the church after he, after he ascended. Christ did the very same thing. Paul had Timothy, Paul had Silas and Luke and uh, Epaphroditus and others that he was investing in, in relationships and influencing them. And I just would say, if this is something Jesus did, and if this is something that Paul did, is this not something that we should consider in our own life? I think so. This week, just as an example, this week I was at a dinner, and um, there was a out-of-town guest that was there. And I, di- I didn't know him at all. I knew, like, next to nothing about him. But we sat at the table to eat, and uh, he began talking and sharing, and the others that were there began talking and sharing about this guy. His name is Lars. And as I was listening to this and I was looking at this man, he's 65 years old, I quickly realized that this is a man that I needed to be quiet around and I needed to listen to because he was a godly man. He was uh, somebody that God had used in many ways. He headed the International Bible Society. He headed up translation work in Europe. He uh, uh, led another major organization, and ten years ago, out of the he just he kind of like quit all the other stuff. and He said, "I'm starting a ministry to uh, of compassion and the gospel to the world." And now, in ten years, from age 55 to 65, now they are in 70 countries of the world in this major ministry that's going on. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I need to. This is I need to make the most of this opportunity. If you're ever in a context where you're around. Somebody that you can benefit from don't miss the opportunity take advantage of it And so I wanted to in that moment. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, you know, there are people that In their in their life, they don't really do much And then there are people that in their life they bear a lot of fruit they they accomplish a lot I said you clearly are in this category what do you think is the difference? That's what I asked him. And before he could answer it, the man at the table next to me said, I'll tell you what it is. He is really good at investing in the people around him. And I'm like, hmm. Paul was really good at investing in the people around him. Jesus clearly was very good at investing in the people around around him spirit potential spiritual fathers and mothers in this room may i ask you do you have a heart enough of a heart to invest some time to invest some relationship to see as a part of your life in ministry finding somebody that you can either be a paul to or to whom you can be a timothy and this is, I think, is what we see going on here. And to me, this is, this is healthy Christianity. When you see godly people investing in the younger, and then those younger maturing and growing and investing in the younger, this is younger spiritually, again, not chronologically, spiritually, that this is a sign of the Spirit's blessing on a congregation. And I see that here. But wouldn't it be great to see it more? I guarantee there are people sitting here right now that they're like, you know what, I'm Timothy. I would love to have a Paul in my life. Paul's here. (laughs) Any eyes for that? Any heart for that? I want to encourage that. It would be great as a result of this, even this weekend, as we look at this spiritual genealogy thing, for there to be possibly somebody with courage to go to somebody and say, you know what, I've known you somewhat, I admire you, Could we do kind of what Pastor Steve was talking about just for a little time? Could we have like Tuesday morning coffee every other week for like, you know, a month or two? I just want to talk to you about your walk with the Lord. I'd be great to do that. It also would be great when people ask that for the Pauls to say, I would be glad to do that. It takes both. It takes two to tango, as they say. It takes both to do that. You know, I say to the young people here, you might be like, oh, I'm a young person. There's no point in this for me. You don't begin to realize the impact that you can have on younger Christians as well. I remember when I was in in school growing up, I had in my church, there was a guy named Dave Conrads. He was three years older than me. He was an athlete and he was a Christian. And I admired him. And he had an impact in my life. Young people, don't think that you can't do exactly what we're talking about here. It'd be great to see that. But really for all of us, You get the point. A healthy church has got lots of Pauls. It's got lots of Timothys that are going on. And I would suggest to you that in our lives, it is not the Billy Grahams, it is not the Rick Warrens, it is not the celebrity Christians who make an impact in our life. It is somebody that cozies up to us in a relationship that we get to know and we see them living their faith out. Those are the people that dramatically impact our life and our faith because we see Christ in them and we want that in our own life. And we need that here. Christian, you need that. You might be sitting there saying, I don't need that. You're wrong. You're wrong. You need that. We all do in our life. And so I just would love to see this message kind of stir that up and bring it to bear in an awareness sort of way in our church. Kinship group leaders and small group leaders, this is one of the primary things that you are called to do. You're not just there to sort of uh, uh, custodial take care of that uh, group. You are there to shepherd them. That is a relational term. And to try to build into them and to rub off on them. And you might be like, there's not a lot for to rub off. I, I don't know that I'm worthy of that. You're not. None of us are. But love Christ and then be in relationships with people. It just happens. So some application questions here to conclude. Number one, to ask the question, do I have a Paul in my life? Do I have a Paul in my life that I have an active relationship with? You might say, oh, yeah, 25 years ago, I remember so-and-so. That doesn't count anymore, okay? They're not in your life. They're not influencing. They're not, you're thankful for them, but they're not doing anything right now. Who could possibly be a Paul. And would they mind if I humbly went to them and asked for them to have some kind of relationship with me like this? Is there a relationship in my life that, if I took an intentional step, would be spiritually profitable for both of us you know when i when i travel I, I, uh, it 's amazing to me I oftentimes will go to a, a panera bread and because they got free internet, and I think the coffee 's okay so I'll go there, and it's amazing to me the percentage of Christians at Panera Bread. When you go, like, in the morning somewhere, uh, because you see them. They're sitting around. They've got some book they're reading, and they're talking about it, or some Bible. And I can just sort of sit there with my computer and look over, and go, oh, yeah, it's a little Bible study going on over there. I love to see that. Getting together, talking about the Lord, talking about their lives. That's, like, the way it should be. So you got that going on in some way? Let's do it. Am I striving to live a life worthy of spiritual imitation? And that's a challenging one. How how many of us can say, imitate me? (laughs) Not many of us would want to, but we need to. What Timothy might I have, and am I failing to make the most of it? I would bet that most of us, probably if we thought about it, there is somebody in our life that if we just took a little step of intentionality, that relationship could actually be something special. Maybe today or today would encourage you to maybe make a little step like that and maybe just say, you know what? I, you're somebody I would like to spend some time with. That person, they would love it. Oh, I'd be great. What can we do? So why don't you maybe have some courage and, and do it? And you could probably come up with some other ones. But again, the point is this, that we are to have a Paul, we're all to have a Timothy. We are, we are branches and twigs. There is a generation that is coming up behind that needs heroes, people in their life that they can imitate and be influenced by. And all the Timothys need to become Pauls and to, and to have Timothys then again in their life. And let's let that thing just start cranking in our church. I think we all would be blessed by it, don't you? All right. Why don't you pray with me?